Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Bible to Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going to continue our study through uh, Jeremiah. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and the ushers will bring you a Bible. Leave it up high. And so we're going to, we're going to get through probably maybe one, maybe two chapters here tonight. And um, what's interesting here is I want to remind, you know, remind ourselves of the next section of Eminent danger, eminent judgment that uh, the destruction coming from the north, the Babylonians who will come down as God's chastening rod to the cho- children of Judah, to Jerusalem, and, and why it's written. So remember this, you know, why was it written? So we left off last week in verses 30 and 31 in chapter 5, and it's so important. It says this an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. I mean, this is the word of the Lord. He says, you know what? This, this horrible thing has been committed in the land. And when God sees that, he's looking at it through the standard of his eyes, through who he is. And he says, uh, this is the word of the Lord. He says, listen, in verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power and my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? So he's, he's telling them, this is why this, this uh, destruction is coming. This is why they're going to, uh, the Babylonians are going to be used to come down from the north and invade Jerusalem. He says, you know what, the, the prophets there are speaking falsely, which means that they're lying to the people. They're, pro, they're there to proclaim the word of God, which is the truth, and they're not doing that. They're prophesying lies. The priests who were to instruct the people in the ways of God, they were instead ruling by their own authority. They had... Um, uh, they were gathering people to liking them. And then the people that says, those who belong to God, they loved it so. They were glad. They didn't care. We like what you hear. You know, the tickling ear thing. We, we're, we're okay with that. Tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. And so with all of this going on, here the Lord reminds um, Judah because of their sin, this is why. This is why judgment is coming. I mean, God doesn't close his eye to it. He's long-suffering. Understand that. He's long-suffering, and when I think about how He is long-suffering in our lives, it's incredible. <laughs> Very long-suffering. But, you know, judgment is going to come. Judgment is eminent. I mean, He's not going to let us get away with it. He's not going to let the children of Judah get away with it forever. And we also see that the Lord uses a bit of repetitiveness, if you will, as He speaks to them. But being repetitive and having to remind people isn't always a bad thing, is it? I mean, when the game's on, gals, you have to remind the guy to take out the trash, your husband, remind him. Or how many times you have to remind your children to clean their room? Like, it's not once, not twice. It's like, would you go clean your room? But even Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he said, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So, yay, it's okay. It's all right that we're being reminded. And you think about this, so, the repetition, whether it has to do with Judah or whether it's ourselves, it can be taken in in totally different light. Many times, some people will take in, in repetition as a nagging, right? Quit nagging me, I'll get to it. 
But um, then, then reputation can be taken also as a witness when God is being repetitive as his long-suffering, as his reminding. He's, here he is once again reminding, reminding. He's not nagging. He is reminding. He's like, look, look at the route you're going. You're not going to get away with it. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. That's what he's doing. And so, you know, we see that over and over. We, go, we look at Jeremiah and we go, wow, all the time, man. Can you believe Jeremiah is just judgment upon judgment, all this stuff. But it's really, if you look at it in the sense of this is the heart of God trying to get to the people. Being so repetitive before judgment comes and trying to remind them, hey, you know what? I, he's warning them. Judgment's coming. I don't want to have to do this. I mean, remember your parents, maybe you've said it to your children. Uh, that it's going to hurt you a lot more than it's going to hurt me, or it's going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. We never really meant that. But God's long-suffering, is long-suffering, and doesn't want judgment to come out there. So he would rather have the people turn, he'd rather have them repent, and we'll see that. So let's look at, at verse 1. He begins with this danger that's coming out, the, the judgment that's looming. He says, O oh, you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem, instead of Jerusalem, so how many have been to Jerusalem? Been, you've been there, right? Big walls. You're safe, man. I mean, you think there's nothing coming against me, but here he's saying you're going to have to flee. So, what was built around her, the the enemy, this is not going to hold the enemy back. And you think of whatever it might be, the strongholds that we got. Wow, I got you know all this this wall built up there, but the Lord here is saying, get ready because you know you're going to have to flee. Because your walls aren't going to be enough to save you. He says, blow the trumpet in Tekoam and set up a signal fire in Beth Hakarim uh, for disaster appears out of the north. And again, the repetitiveness of how he's using the chastening rod of the north, the Babylonians. He says, for disaster appears out of the north and great destruction. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. The shepherds with their flock shall come to her and they shall pinch their, pitch their tents against her all around. Each one shall pastor in his own place. So imagine here the city of David, Zion, and uh, imagine the, the, the women there, what he says, they're being delicately dressed up. If so, if you're going out in the wilderness, you're not going to be delicately dressed up. You're going to be dressed for the season. But he says, it's like you guys are going out in the wilderness you're going camping and you're wearing high heels. Ain't going to happen too well, right? And so Judah may have thought that they were strong. They had nothing to worry about because somebody was telling them something that a lot of lies were out there, a lot of misleading them in the wrong direction. But uh, they were actually very vulnerable. They were vulnerable. And God had threatened to destroy Jerusalem so completely, he says that the shepherds would pitch their tents and gaze, uh, graze their herds on this site. You, you know, it's not, you're not going to be in that city. And, and, and this calls for pretty extensive dis destruction for the city. It's even noted by, remember Nehemiah, when Nehemiah would go to the city, and he has such a heart for the people in the first chapter, verse 3, he said, and they said to me, he asked the question, he was concerned about the captivities. He was concerned about Jerusalem. And he said this, and they said to me, this, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress. This is how they're living. In great distress and reproach, the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates are burned with fire. That's how they're living. I mean, it should have been that, you know, they had God on their side. They were the apple of his eye. They were always going to be protected by him. 
He was going to be, you know, their God. They were going to be his people. But they just wandered astray. And you see where it leads you. It leads them. And it didn't matter how secure that they thought they were. It, it didn't matter because anything, how many, I mean, you look at all the nations that have been set up, all the world empires that have been set up. It takes nothing for God to take them down. It takes nothing for God. That's why I don't trip out when I see the news. I go, oh, this guy's rising. This is what's happening. That's what's going on. The Lord said, I just raise him up and I'll set him down. <laughs> you know, the kings are his to do what he wants, right? And so look at the, in the fourth verse. We look at this. He, he begins, they should have trusted in the Lord is what they should have done. He says, prepare war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon. Woe to us for the day goes away. For the shadow of the evenings are lengthy. Arise and let us go by night and let us destroy her palaces. So interestingly enough, what Jeremiah is told to tell them is that the disaster is going to take place. And it's going to take place at noon. I love that. Usually they're going to come back and they're going to, they would, uh, the, the army would come in, they would set up, and the military, they would set up everything. And then the next day to get the fullness of the day, they would go and attack. But he says, you know what? They're, they're going to attack you. And what the means of what he's speaking about is with such zeal. They've got such zeal to come after you. They're not going to wait. They're not going to worry about camping out. They're not going to worry about getting set up and getting strategic. They're coming after you. And that's, that's the motive that they have. And so in verse 6 he says, For thus has the Lord of hosts said. Listen, when he starts here and when he says it here, For thus has the Lord of hosts said. This is the judgment coming from God. This is what he's saying. This is personal. You've walked away from me. You know, like when a couple of people, they'll go in, they'll get a divorce, and they'll say, well, here's why we're getting divorced. The judge stamps it. And God was in this thing, right? God had saved Israel. And they had, in a sense, played a harlot to him. And so he's taking this kind of personal. This is a husband that has been so faithful, so loving, so long-suffering, so caring, so all of this stuff. And they've walked away from him. So he's taking it personal, and, and he's acting in a personal way. And they long ago, it wasn't just like they flirted with disaster or flirted with sin. It wasn't just as they just started. They walked long ago away from him. And then even though his long suffering is there, this is a time where he's, it's time to act. It's time. I just can't bear it anymore. So look, look at, he says, for thus has the Lord of hosts said, cut down trees and build a mount against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. As a fountain wells up with her, or excuse me, with water, uh, so she wells up with her wickedness. Violence and plundering are heard in her. Before me continually are grief and wounds. Be instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate, a land not inhabited. So it comes to the point to the, where they're living in total contrast with that of the direction of the Lord had commanded them to live. It's been over and over and over again. You know, we don't have to fear God that the first mistake we made or the first sin we commit, he's like, I got you now, and he's ready to come down on us. It's not like that with the Lord. This has been over and over and over again that the children of, of Judah, that the southern tribes have walked away from him, and instead of being in fellowship with the Lord and loving one another, they were taking advantage of one another. But they were learning this from their spiritual leaders. The prophets passed it to the priests, priests passed it to the people. And it just, it was the way of life. It was just the way it was, the way of life. And so, so much so, if you look at verse 7 again, it says it was like fountains exploding. 
fountain, they were, uh, as a fountain wells up with water, so she wells up with wickedness. Isn't that sad? I mean, you think about volcanoes that will just well up and all of a sudden they're going to spew all this lava all over the place. And this is kind of what it's talking about here. But her wickedness had, the wickedness in Jerusalem had just kind of popped like a big pimple over the city, just gushing out wickedness. They couldn't hold it anymore. You know, there was murders, there was just sexual misconduct and all of this stuff that was happening there. And he's just saying that this evil is being spewed all over the place. And it was kind of like inside of her that she couldn't hide any longer, bringing forth this wickedness. And it's kind of like being sick to your stomach. And all of a sudden, you can't hold it anymore. It's got to come up. It just has to come up. Let me, say, let me say this. People think when they read stuff like Jeremiah or Isaiah, some, especially Jeremiah here, when they hear about the Old Testament... I've heard people tell me, well, who's the God of the New Testament? I want to know him. <laughs> because they think the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. And then they think the God of the Old Testament, which, you know, they go off to say, uh, they think that he, or, you know, he comes to this place, he's so full of hate, and he loves to destroy people. That's far from the truth. He's a great God. He even loves the filthiest of sinners, but he's dealt with sin, and the way he deals with sin, the way people deal with sin is totally different. And he's made an avenue. See, he's not going to allow evil to continue forever, especially evil that's being, you know, brought forth in his people. I mean, look, we're going to be an example. The church is to be an example. The children of Israel were to be an example. The 12 tribes were to be an example of how mankind was to have a relationship with God. How do you do that? And so they were to learn how this relationship was to be and, and all of that. Just like you and I, we should be brewing a, to the outside world, to those in the world, we should be showing them, provoking them to jealousy. They should be wanting God because of our love for Him, because our relationship is so rich. And so he comes to this point to where, you know, you think of all this, be instructed, O Jerusalem, for my soul departs from me, and all these things. You know, they have performed so much evil. They had walked away from Him. And the evil spoken about here is most, mostly pertaining to idolatry, though it ex, expands past that. And it's the worship of something created. You know what's interesting? There's a fellow going around, I got a um, YouTube to it, you can Google it. And he goes on and he says, uh, he, he says, I have a petition. And he's going out to, obviously, I think he did it at uh, Southern California College or something. I don't know what it was. But he said, hey, I have a petition here. I want you to sign this. You know, what do you guys think? He goes, what's the petition about? He goes, that you can save eagles. People are killing the eggs of unborn eagles. And people are going, we need to stop that now. We're signing this right now. I can't believe they would do that. You know, and he's signing this thing for the unborn eagles. And he goes, oh, by the way, I got another, I've got another petition if you wouldn't mind signing. We want to save the unborn babies. And would you sign here? And they go, you got to be kidding me. They were hard. He wouldn't do it. Because they were so strung up on that. They're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And, and they're, they're so strung up on this thing. And, and one of the gals goes, oh, uh, looks like I got caught in something kind of funny. And well, it's not funny. It's the reality of a heart that is void of God. And, and this is what we're seeing. You know, the, I tell you what, it's kind of interesting because they come to this place and they botch at the idea. So you can Google it. Just Google um, unborn eagle's eggs or something and it'll come up. 
I have the, the thing here if you want to get it afterwards. And then in verse 9, I mean, that's just where the people are, right? Verse 9, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean as a vine, uh, as, a, as a vine, the remnant of Israel, as grape gatherers put her, uh, put your hand back into the branches. So what they're saying is that they're going back in after more fruit. They're stripping the fruit off of these branches. Verse 10, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? And so the Lord is saying, you know, who can I share this with? They're going to strip you wild. They're going to strip you clean. And he would hope that they would hear. And listen, just like he always hopes that you and I would hear. That we would have ears to hear. Don't let the devil tell you that you don't belong to God. If you belong to Jesus Christ tonight, you're born again, you belong to him. He wants to talk to you. And if you don't belong to Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you need to give your life to the Lord and you need to walk with him. But listen, at any age, older or younger, he wants to speak to us. And this is what he's talking about here. He's saying, you know what, I want to get a hold of your ears. I want to speak to you. And when he speaks to us, it's just not for information, but it's also for transformation. He wants to change our lives. He wants to take our lives and just create in us the image of his son. And so he says, indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give, give heed. I mean, they weren't giving heed to the word. They weren't open to the word of God. So they weren't going to take heed to it. And that's just it. We got to really watch ourselves. You ever watch yourself getting into the place to where Man, I'm not even paying attention to the Word of God. Maybe in your morning devotions. I had been going through for probably the third year, and this year I was doing it audibly through the Word, and finally I had to put it away. And I got my 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 Bible back out. I mean, I was just going through the Word, you know, and I said, man, I just wanted that intimate time with the Lord. You know, I mean, I love being able to go through it, and I can, I. but when I read, personally, I slow down a little bit. I'm not in no race anyway, right? But I, want, I don't want the Lord to speak to me. So, you know, they weren't open to the Word of God. Their ears have been closed to what God had been saying for some time now. And so he's just saying, who am I going to tell? And listen, over 30 times, Jeremiah makes reference to the people refusing to listen. So he does. Over and over, you'll see this in 52 chapters or so. He's going to say, you know what? The people refuse to listen. The people refuse to listen. When I hear that, I want to say, wait a second. God, open my ears. Let me be open to you, right? And then he says, behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. Isn't that sad? The word of the Lord being a reproach to them, it should have been a light under their path. It should have been a helpful in a time of need. It should have been remembering the promises that God had given to them. And if you, you ever notice when you read a lot of the Psalms, what do the Psalms do? It's a reminding them of what God had done, reminding the people what God had done for them. What has he done for you? And reminding of how he is, how good he is, even in our, in our misery and our sin, it just reminds us. So the word of God should be a lamp under our feet. It should be a light under our path. And, and it was a reproach to them. And it says they have no delight in it. You see, they delighted in other things. They delighted in other things. And these other things became more important. Eventually they became so important that the other things were found to be satisfying to themselves over the word of God. Listen, I don't know about you, but I need God's word to change me. I got a hard, I got a hard heart sometimes, and I, you know, I'm just an attitude. I mean, I'm just who I am. I'm just a, a guy that God saved. He had grace on it, and I don't want him to ever stop changing me. And then, you know, coming up to 30 years walking with the Lord, I, Lord, just change me like you did that first day that I met you. And I want it to be fresh. You know, I don't want to be closed off. 
See, backsliding, it was because of their backsliding that they were going to pay the price. Listen, the, the Lord willing, it'll never have to come to this, or in some cases it will come to this. In Psalm 119, verse 67, it says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. I went out that way. This is what's going to happen to the people of Israel, right? They're going to come back. Nehemiah's going to do a, a great work, bringing the people back. Ezra's going to read the word. They're going to see, that's why. Listen, you fast forward to Nehemiah chapter 8, and they're saying, that's why we, we need God, because that's why we got into so much trouble. We neglected his word, and they began to weep. Just over the simple reading of the word of God, they were weeping. And in verse 9, they're repenting. And verse 8, or excuse me, chapter 8, chapter 9, they're repenting. Verse chapter 9, they're leaving the things of the world. They're making it right with God, signing a new covenant. Let's get it on. But they had to be afflicted because of that. And then they come back and it only lasts for what? Short time. See, they found God's word to be offensive to them. Offensive. God's word, yeah, it cuts, right? It cuts. It's sharp. Sharpening a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between the bone and the marrow. It separates. Gets the emotions out of it. And it wants to feed the spirit. It wants to put us in check. But at the same time, it heals us so perfectly. And the grace is just right there to mix with the word and just say, here, this is what I have for you. But at Jeremiah, even in this, even as they're refusing to hear the word, even as their ears have been so closed off, Jeremiah has to be faithful to deliver the word. You still got to be faithful. Listen, no matter what our generation, our culture is around us, you and I, born again believers, are still commanded to walk with God, right? There's no excuse. Like, wow, the pressure was tough. I think the God, the word of God and the spirit of God are more powerful, right? And so, again, Jeremiah is to be found faithful, even if it comes between you and your loved ones. You have to speak the truth in love. And you have to be, you know, here's what the truth says. And, and they, you know, even if they're gonna, you're going to see them go through some things that you don't want to necessarily see them go through, listen, be faithful. Jeremiah is going to be faithful, and he is faithful. Verse 11, therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. He just, I, I got to get it out. There's nothing I can do. I will pour it out into the children uh, outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife, the aged with him who is full of days, and their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and uh, wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. I mean, there, listen, there's going to be nothing there. Everything you worked, we, we went touched on this last week, everything you worked for, it's going to be taken away. You worked hard, all that overtime you put in, all that stuff, it's going to be taken away. And there's not going to be any class of people that's going to miss out on the judgment. Listen, God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't look and say, well, you, 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 you tried harder, you know, you, you, ah, you, no, 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 no. Young and old alike. Young and old alike would receive the chasing. Look at verse 13. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. Every one of them. You might think that you're the only one, but it's going to be passed down. It's just, it's just contagious in a sense. And the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also hurt, healed the hurt of my people slightly, meaning super, uh, superficially, saying, peace, peace. When there is no peace, you know, the religious leaders were bringing forth false words of peace. They were bringing this false hope, leading the people astray. 
Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? No. They were, <laughs> no, they were not at all ashamed. You know what? They, sadly, they just continued on with it. There was no conviction there. They had no worries at all in life, just what they felt they were going to do. There was no fire in their hearts for the Lord, nor is there, was there any fear or reverence for the Lord motivating their lives. Instead, they just lived selfishly. They lived for themselves. And they're not ashamed of how they're living. And that's a sad situation. And all the time, this, you know, the Lord is just, listen, come back, repent. And then he goes on and he says, nor did they uh, know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. And, and at time I punish them. At, at that time I punish them. And they, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. You know, it would be so bad that the people would lose their homes, they would lose their families, lose their wives, lose their fields, and all because they chose to live in corruption. They're choosing this way. You know, it's not, even the prophets, the priests, they practiced these things, and they were living in such deceit, and that too was the cause for this chastening that was being brought upon them. And they had led the people away from God. There was no hope. And, uh, you know, you think about who today will we listen to? Who will the Christians listen to? Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the Word of God and allow that to minister to our hearts? Or who will we listen to? And we should be cautioned because many leaders, even church leaders, will offer a promise of hope. Well, if you sow into this ministry, you'll get whatever they want to give you or say you're going to get. Or they'll, you know, whether it's whatever financial background or breakthrough or, or whatever the instant healing is and i'm all about healing but you know you see these guys out there says we're going to go out there and that leg is going to grow longer than this leg and it's the oldest trick in the book and and whatever else we can dream of but they never deliver they never deliver if they were that if it was like that why not just be in a hospital that really cut our health care down let's go to the hospital start healing people and i and i believe in all the gifts of the spirit i believe god can heal people but, you know, the people here were eating it up. They liked it to be so. They were just involved in that. And then it was sad as they would reject what God had. His, they rejected his wisdom. Look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you shall, you shall find rest for your souls. Now, it doesn't have to come. Look, God says, I, I've always showed you. I told you long ago how it's to be. And it doesn't have to come with new slick ways of doing things. Or the newest thing probably isn't the greatest thing. And the greatest thing is never the newest thing. And so, so many people, even today, you think about how they try and draw people in. The new slick ways. See, just go back to the old ways. I mean, what's wrong with just preaching the Word of God, lifting up Jesus, relying on the Holy Spirit, as He'll draw all men into Himself? I think it works. And, 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 and these things here, it's like, you know, they left, they went after these new things, after these new ways, these new idols. Well, let's add this to it. It was this fun in games or that, you know, thing. You know, we have to be careful. I think as a pastor, I am very cautious. I want to be very cautious that even the things that we do, that some things are very nice and they're far beyond my thought to bring them up. You know, I, I think that um, simple is best. But, uh, you know, we have to be very careful about putting things up there, putting, you know, we get these things that the new style pastor, you know, the um, whatever it might be. You know, they got these, 
they use coffee tables now and they put their branding emblem on a coffee cup or whatever it is. And it's just a new way of trying to do things. It's like, we got a brand, get that thing in the mind of people. And I guess, you know, I just want to be cautious. I want to keep the main thing, the main thing. I want to keep the simplicity of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and seeing people saved by God, letting him do the work. You don't need my fun and games. You don't need any monkey, you know, sticks. We don't need any lures of anything. I mean, it's, it's not about that. It's about, listen, letting people see their needs that they have. I think if, you know, you, you think about if you use carnal ways to get people, you're going to get carnal Christians out of it. You want to make sure that you're just keeping the main thing, the main thing. It's not about advertising these new ways, these new, oh, look at this new man. We're the, we got the new funk, man. Let's have, <laughs> I don't know. You see, when a preacher becomes the famous one or the worship leader becomes the famous one or something like that, we tend to lose our way. And then we become the attention. The main thing is no longer the main thing. The main thing is to be Jesus Christ. So the Lord tells him, he says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Then bring me back. Bring me back to simplicity. There's nothing wrong with the word of God. There's nothing wrong with you just speaking to me and giving me that new life. You know, I, I received a phone call uh, earlier, and you get these phone calls, and people, you know, they want to get right with the Lord, but they don't want to do nothing about it. You know, I, sometimes they get two or three a day. It's like you, people that used to attend or church, and, hey, man, I really want to get right with the Lord. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad. I'll pray for you. What do you want to do? He goes, well, I want to start doing it all. Just get your, just repent of your sin and get your tail back to church. That's what it's about, right? I mean, I don't know what else to say. I don't know how to sugarcoat it. It's like, this is what it is. You want to get right? Come back to the old ways. How did the, the path was created? It was Jesus Christ upon the cross. And he says where the, good, where the good way is. And walk in it. Walk in that way. Remember when you weren't going to the bars? You weren't going to the taverns? You weren't going to these, you know, whatever disco clubs they have now? I don't even know. Don't go to them. Well, you mixed up in that. Just stay in the path says, but they said, we will not walk in it. Isn't that sad? Despite what God wanted to say to them, his instructions, his invitation, Judah rejected it. Look at walking that path. You know how many people I've told over years, walking that path, walking a straight and narrow path. They're like, no, walking that straight and narrow path. I meet with church planners. People call up and they say, hey, I want to plant a church. I'm really, really thinking about planting a church. Or guys that you want to be pastors. And I encourage them with this one thing you got to stick to the code. Stick to the Bible. You don't got to dress it up. You don't got to funk it up. You don't have to make it, put lights on it. No, just preach the word. Just give them the Bible. You want to, you know, while, while we're thinking about this, we got this new, uh, what do they call them when they go out and raise money? We're going to go out and raise this money, man. We got. I said, well, then God's on it. If God wants you to do that, he'll provide for that. It's one of the interesting things I had with the... Um, the conversation I had with the uh, um, Associated Press writer that I've been praying for, kind of sharing with over time, I said, you know, um, she sent me some articles on um, church planning, and I sent them to some of the guys in the class. Pretty interesting stuff. And I just said, you know, that's kind of interesting, but I want to tell you something. The church is not for sale, nor is it a business. And, and she was just, she was just, she got saved. She was just, you know, talking these things over with me. And I, and I, was, I was appreciative. I thought they were pretty cool, uh, you know, the interesting. They weren't cool. They were interesting, to say the least. But, um, you know, what they do is they get financial backers from the Silicon Valley 
and they get backers out there and they say, hey, this guy will fit the mold. Let's get him. Let's dress him. Let's, and they'll call it pimping him out, which means broadcasting him on social media. And so they use these words as technology. And so they, they get behind him and then he's got to build this church and he's supposed to have it at 200 in a certain time and 300 in a certain time. And it's like, wait a second. I always just go back to the old ways. How can you love the sheep if you're just trying to blow them up, man? Just love on them. Feed them the word. This is what Jesus told Peter. Tend my sheep and feed my sheep. That's all you got to do. And there will come a time when, when you know, pastors, they, we all fall into temptation. There's always maybe a temptation of something new that's great, something new that's out there. And it's like, what is that? If you're not just sticking to the old ways, it's like they're saying a new idea to draw people. You can double your church size. You can double, you know, all this stuff. I'm making away. Again, carnal methods produce carnal Christians. Look at verse 17. Also, I said, watchmen. And this is prophets. I sent them over you, he said. Listen to sound the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations. Oh, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because, and here it is, they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. That's pretty sad. Again and again and again, their ears were closed. Again and again and again, they didn't want to hear the word of God. They had rejected the very thing that should have kept them close to the one who saved them. Pretty interesting. It was his word. It was his law. But listen, what they wanted to do in return, as look at verse 20, they wanted to bring things of their own way to him. That was a Cain and Abel story all over again. Look at verse 20. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifice is sweet to me. So God had told them, hey, look, I'm not pleased with your sweet, extravagant, imported sacrifices. They don't blow me away. I'm not thrilled by them. You're not making yourself look good. I'm not, you might be looking good in front of yourselves, but I'm not impressed. You see, this should have been a, rela- a love relationship. I, the Lord, saved them. He pulled them out. He gave them a land, you know, made it ready, but they walked away from him. It should have been a love relationship. It would be like maybe for the guys going out and buying a gift for your wife every night, every night, or, or, or gals buying a gift for your husband every night, every night, every night. And then the next, the next minute you serve them divorce papers, but you still want to live there. And you're still buying them gifts, trying to please them. It's, no, it's of no value. You see, they divorced the Lord long ago, but they thought that their sacrifices or the offerings that they would bring to the Lord, that it would make up for it. Not so, says the Lord, right? He longs for our hearts to be one with him. He wants what's in here. And I'll, I'll guarantee that for every marriage, that, that that's the main thing is the true love that we're to have for one another. It's not gifts. You know, I would much rather have Elaine just tell me how much she loved me and me the same thing with her. We're not... Yes, we're more vocal. But it's just like, man, I love you. If you love me, you know, this, I just love you. And so because of this, because they're neglecting his wisdom, the rituals aren't working, but because they're trying in their own flesh, the things that they want to try, God says, hey, I'm going to put a stumbling block in front of you. Look at verse 21. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people and the fathers and their sons together shall fall on them. Their neighbors and his friends shall perish. And so it may be that the Lord may be using the Babylonians here as a stumbling block. I don't know for sure. It pretty much points to that. But it's sad when the dads and their sons aren't going to escape and it brings the idea that none of them are going to be exempt. 
they're all going to be caught up and they're going to be tripping over the stumbling block. In verse 22, he says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people comes from the north. Again, the north country, again, reiterating who he's going to use. A great nation will be raised from the farthest uh, parts of the earth, and they will lay hold and, uh, on uh, bow and spear, and they, uh, they are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughters of Zion. Verse 24, he says, We have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Do not go out to the field, nor walk by the way. Be, because of the sword of the enemy, fear is on every side. O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth and roll out in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation. For the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. Here's a, the torment that would come upon there, uh, upon Judah was going to be very difficult. It's difficult to bear. How are you going to do this? And he says that people would be so afraid to leave their cities for the fear of being struck down by the Babylonians, but the Babylonians are going to ransack the city. And it would be for them, Jeremiah 26, or the, uh, for Jeremiah 26, he refers to the mourning as if they were going to lose their only son. This is how it's going to hit them. This is how he's trying to warn them. I'm trying to tell you, this is what's going to happen. It's going to, it's going to impact your heart so much. Don't go there. Repent. Come back to me. It's the same thing. But it's, it's, when I look at this again, I don't look at it as, well, judgment, judgment, judgment. I see it as a warning of judgment, but it's the grace of God because it's not like you and I sometimes, man, I just want to settle it right now. Right? I mean, I, we're, we're done. What did you say? And what are we doing? No, 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 we're going to settle it right now. But God is so merciful. And he's just like, you know, let's just, let's just, come on, would you see this is going to happen? And I want you, I want you to understand that when you go about continuing doing what you're doing, that it's going to affect you so much that you're going to ache as if you had your only son be taken from you. And look at verse 27, because Judah is going to be judged as metal is refined. He says, I have set you, and this is speaking of Jeremiah, as a a sayer. This is a tester of metals and a fortress among my people that you may know and test their way. So he's he's looking, he's taking Jeremiah to appoint him to test the people. Verse 28, he says, they also are stubborn rebels walking walking as slanderers. They are bronze as iron and they are all corruptors. The bellows blow fiercely. The lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines. The lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines in vain. And the, uh, for the wicked are not are not drawn off. People will call them uh, will call them rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. And I mean, it almost sounds to me like the Lord is already testing them. But He calls Jeremiah to this place, and although He's tried to refine them, He's given them the opportunity. Things get a little hot. They just they just go back to their own ways. It hasn't worked out, and so no matter how hot it became, they were drawn to their own sin. I mean, that's a, an attachment. You know the story of how they catch monkeys, right? They put a treat in the knot of the hole, the hole in the tree, and the monkey goes in there and grabs it, and he won't let go of it. They catch live monkeys that way. He won't let go of it. And look, they got the captors. He's right there. He's like, I gotta get this. 
It's so much, i got to get this, I'm not going to let go of it. And they catch them live. If you just let go of it, you can be set free. No, I want this so bad. That's what he's saying here. I mean, they have been refined by fire. The fire was hot. They jumped, they jumped out of the kettle and they just ran back to their own sin. Crazy. And then look at chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, because now Jeremiah gives a, you heard of the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon at the gate. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, stand in the gate. This is going to make it a public address. This isn't just one-on-one or anything like that. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you Judah, who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. You might want to underline that. That's his call to them once again. And I will cause you to dwell in this place. Isn't that amazing? It's grace. Do you not... Do not trust these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the temple of the Lord are these. Here, see, here's the problem. The people of God thought that judgment could never come to them because they were in Jerusalem. And they had the temple there. So they thought they were, they were safe. Look it, I got the temple here. Remember what the religious leaders in Jew, Jesus' day used to hide behind? Oh, we belong to Moses. We belong to Moses. And so we're children of Moses. You know, he's our father and all this stuff. Well, they would also stand behind the temple and they would, they would, you know, whatever they did, they would stand behind the temple and nothing could come against them. Oh, the temple, the temple, the temple of the Lord. And it's like the people who would, you know, I think modern day, if you fast forward, they think they can come to church and every now and again. And by that, by doing that, by coming to church every now and again, not by transformation of the heart, but by doing that, they're standing, they think that they're standing with the Lord is acceptable. Without a relationship, it's acceptable. Because I go to church every now and again. Because I sit in a pew. They're going to be exempt from the chasing. See, if people's hearts aren't in love with the Lord, once they leave the temple or the church, whatever, they're going to go back to the way they want to live. It's, the, the test isn't necessarily here, but it's out there. The test here is we get to come in and God says, hey, I know where you're going to go. I know what you're going to do. And I don't want you to do that. And we hear that from the Lord. And it's his word just saying, my son, my daughter, I prefer you not to do that. I want you to walk in this way. And so then he says, you know, and the Holy Spirit just points these things out in our lives. And then before we get out there, we already know what we're to do. Now it's up to us to just do it. And the people's hearts, they weren't in love with the Lord. And so they were going to do what they were going to do when they were out there anyway. And so it's like a, almost like a no-brainer. You know, it's like, well, if you're not going to take heed to the Word, this is what's going to happen. I mean, God has been very clear at that. And He tells them, Jeremiah, tell them to amend their ways and their doings. So He's offering them once again a chance to get things right, but they're found relying on false promises, on lying prophets. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, this is what I believe. <laughs> I, this is what I believe. Well, God says get things right. Well, this is what I believe. I'm like, give me a chapter and verse on that. This is just because you believe this. I'm, you know, it's not the way God wants it. Well, that's what you believe. I was right here. So in, in verse 5, listen, because what he wants from the people. I mean, this is, a, again, the grace of God. He wants genuine repentance. He doesn't want any monkey. He doesn't want silver, gold, and all this stuff, this elaborate stuff. He says, listen, in verse 5, for if, you underline this four, three times, he'll say this, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and you're doing. So this is a kind of cry out. 
If you do this, if you amend your ways and your doings, if, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you, there's a third one, do not oppress the stranger, the fathers, the widow, and do not uh, shed innocent blood in the place or walk after God's uh, other gods to, uh, to your hurt, then I will. So look at it. Here I am. If you don't do, if you do these things, you thoroughly execute, you, you amend your ways, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I've given to your fathers forever. Listen, this is the land that I promised you guys. <clears throat> and I want you to dwell in that. But if you do these things, if you continue to do these things, I'm going to do something about it. It's my promise, and his promise, you know, as you can see in 1948, that Israel becomes his nation again. So his promise has never gone void. But it's like, listen, he can't bless your mess. He's not going to do that. And you can hear the heart of God. He's just crying out to them, saying, would you come? Would you turn? Would you come back? And yet giving them yet another chance to repent. And he doesn't want them to be taken from the promised land. He Listen, at the end of uh, Jeremiah 29, we'll see that he has a plans of good and not of evil. Right? I mean, they're in captivity at the time. Hey, I got plans that are good and not of evil. Right? He's always had plans of good and not of evil. The same way in our lives as Christians today, he wants us to have life and have that more abundantly. He wants us to have a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, being used by him. You know, that we're just in, filled with joy. But we have, even through the tough times, it's just the power of the Holy Spirit that we're living our lives. That's how he wants us to live. But in this case, he's just telling him, if you, if you, if you, then I, then I will. You make that move. I've made the move. I, I've called you. Would you come? And then he, he goes on to tell him in verse 11, or eight, verse 8 through 11, he says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. You will steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know. And then I will come and stand before, uh, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, "We are delivered to do all these abominations." Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it," says the Lord. And so here is the people of Judah that were faithful to these lying gods, false prophets, but they weren't faithful to the God that saved them. You think about that. And I remember, I remember as a young man in my teens, going out, partying, drinking, and all this stuff. And I would come to the church on Saturday, and I would sit in confession, that's my sins. And then I would leave and go get high. And I would say these prayers about, you know, oh, Father, you know, it's been so long for I've sinned and forgive me and blah, blah, blah. And all this, hell, Mary, full of grace, and all these things that we said in the church. And I said those things through repetition, but they had no power. And it was just like these guys, they're believing in these lying words. Well, if you go down and give me 10 Hail Marys and 10 Hail Fathers, they'll never do it again. I didn't want to do it again, but they, they weren't the saving grace in my life. They weren't the saving power. And then on church, I'd go to church on Sunday, or you know, to the, the congregation on Sunday, hoping that I, that would make things right with God. It wasn't making things right with God. It was the, the thing that I was trusting in. I wasn't trusting in God. I was trusting in religion. And made nothing but religion out of us. And Judah felt secure because the temple was there. Oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Because, you know, God was there. But what they failed to realize was God was watching their every deed, everything that they were doing. 
He was there. Yeah, I'm there, but I'm watching everything that you're doing. Remember in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, I'll read to you verse 34, because he spoke to them about their sin being so open, he said this, Also on your skirt is found the blood of the lives of the poor, of the poor innocent, and I have not found it by secret search, but plainly on all these things. So he's telling them, man, the things that you're doing, I told you in chapter 2 that they're open. And look at the things that you're doing now. I'm just telling you, repent is what he's saying. And then in verse 12, they should have learned this lesson before from others. He says, but go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called to you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will go uh, to the house, which is uh, uh, the house, which is, which is called by my name in which you trust. And in this place, which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I, as I have done in Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, uh, the whole, uh, posterity of Ephraim. So Jeremiah reminds him, do you remember what happened in Shiloh? Do you remember that? It was a religious center. It had the tabernacle and all of a sudden it came to an abrupt end. It was done. And now it was in the days of Jerusalem, or excuse me, Jeremiah. It sat in ruins and they're looking at this. Oh yeah. But they're not listening. You know, I, I think about we can in our own days today, look back at the mistakes of even, even ourselves, if not others. Even ourselves, and we hopefully learn from them or grow through them and understand God's grace in them and never forget about God's grace. But I want to learn from the mistake of others. I want to learn these things. And then in verse 15, he tells them that I will cast you out of my sight as I have done to them. God does not respect your person. He's telling them. And in verse 16, there's a price that they're going to pay for provoking the Lord. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, do not pray uh, for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough and uh, to make cakes uh, for the queen of heaven. Oh, I want to underline that. Say what? The queen of heaven? And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says Lord? Do they provoke themselves to shame or their own faces? The shame of their own faces. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place. On man and on beasts, on trees and on fields, on the fruit, on the ground, it will be burned and not be quenched. Listen, God in a modern-day vernacular says, you know, tell them to talk to the hand because I'm not listening. Pretty much what it is. They had lowered the standard of worship to being to the queen of heavens. Probably referring to Ishtar, the Babylonian goddess in love of, fertil of love and fertility. It's, you might think that's crazy. How could they do that? Well, they do it today, don't they? And the Catholic Church has elevated Mary. And they elevated her. They elevate her to a deity. All of a sudden, they're, they're worshiping Mary, in a sense. Now let's close with this in verse 21. Because he says that, he comes to this place of, 
obedience. And, he, and God wants him to know that obedience is what he's looking for, not sacrifice. He says in verse 21, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day, uh, command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices, but this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and walk in the ways that I have commanded you, that uh, it will be well with you. Yet they did not o- obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsel and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backwards and not forwards. Since that day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until and, until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants and prophets daily, rising up early and sending them. Yet it did not. Uh, yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. You know, listen. God wanted them to know that sacrifice is one thing, but that's not what I'm asking for. And if you go back, the very thing that I want is just obedience. Just just obey. Walk that straight and narrow path, you know? The, the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they were into giving all these sacrifices, but they failed to keep in mind that the, the, the other covenant, that, or the commandment that God had given them, and that was to love. Look, look at what I'm doing, look at what I'm doing. Why don't you just try loving? Jesus says, by you loving one another, all will know that you belong to me, you are my disciples. And so he called on Israel to not necessarily make sacrifice to make him pleased, but to obey him and to walk in the ways that he established for them. But unfortunately, he says that they refused to listen or pay attention to the commands of God. They didn't do it. And though God continually sent his prophets and he warned them, he said, hey, you guys better watch out. You know what? They refused to pay attention. Their hearts have been hard. Their ears are closed. And God's not impressed with what we do for him. I mean, he doesn't look down at a boy. Boy, I'm just so proud of you. Look at you go. But rather how we obey him. Remember when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray that another comfort the Holy Spirit, and he will come alongside you. He will be with you and he will be in you. And that's what we need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just want to obey you. And it's not how well we can serve him or how much we do for him necessarily. Rather, it's, it's, are we loving him? Are we yielding to what he wants us to do? Are we living under faith, trusting him, saying, God, what do you want from me? Remember Saul? Remember when Saul was spared, he spared King Agag and then the prophet Samuel was sent to him. Samuel said this, he said, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And he says, why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have. In his eyes, he thought he had taken care of everything. But I have. My standard. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on a mission, and the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I ordered to destroy the Amalekites. But the people, there's the excuse, the people took the plunder and the sheep and the oxen. It's like, <laughs> it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> it's the people that were around me. But the people took the splendor and the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things they, uh, which um, should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel, Samuel says to him, has the, uh, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Obey, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed 
than uh, the fat of ram. For rebellion is as sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, um, he has also rejected you from being king. So you think about what he's saying. You know, it's God just wants obedience. Just, just follow me. I'm going to tell you, I'll keep you safe. I'll provide for you and all these things. And then in verse 27, the last verse of the night, therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not hear, they will not obey you. And you shall call to them, but they will not answer you. Is that sad? God already knows. And it's not like, well, go to, you know, he already knows what they're going to do. But Jeremiah is still to be faithful. And may, may, may our ears be open to hear what God wants us to do. May we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. May, may we just desire to say, Lord, this isn't my life. It's your life. You purchased it. Help me to walk in everything that you have for me. Because that's, because that's what I want to do. And may we always remain pliable and that's teachable by the leading of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God is brought to our lives. So there's a major influence out there. And it's a bad influence. And as things are changing and as the church is changing, and I use that, that term lightly, but as the church is changing and as so many of these things, for you and I who want to walk with God and walk in the right ways, we've got to keep to the code. And we've got to have hearts that are just made pliable. Lord, you, just so that we're seeking God's forgiveness, so we're being there, you know, confessing our sin, not being afraid to do those things. I, I just want to do the right thing. I want to be right with you and right with one another. I just want to live obedience. And how God blesses obedience. And you know, I think of tonight, Mike, you can come up here and close us off. I think of tonight, again, just to say, Lord, you know, I need you. Lord, help me to have that fresh empowering of your spirit that I might be walking in your ways, desiring to walk in your ways. And Lord, open my ears. Maybe we need to pray that. Lord, open my ears that I might hear. Let's soften my heart that I might receive your word that when it's planted into my life that I might grow some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. I just want to live for you. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you. Oh, such great examples you've given us, you've given this generation of you. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.